when you're leading a company of people who are relatively young and a company that is made by and marketed towards women for the most part, likability is going to be part of your promise as a brand. And Glossier certainly market themselves with literally smiles and likabilities. Hi, and welcome to Content People. I'm your host, Meredith Farley. I'm a former chief product officer turned chief operating officer turned CEO and founder. My agency is called Medberry. At Medberry, we work with founders, execs, and companies who want to tell their stories and grow. But Content People is not about me or Medberry. It's about the creative leaders and professionals that we interview every week. We'll delve into their journeys, unpack their insights, and ask them for practical advice. If you like it, please rate and subscribe. Let's get started. Marissa, thank you for joining Content People. I want to give you a little bit of an intro. For folks who don't know her, Marissa Meltzer is a journalist based in New York who for over a decade has covered beauty, fashion, wellness, and celebrity industries for publications like The New York Times, The New Yorker, The Guardian, The Wall Street Journal, Vogue, and Vanity Fair. She's the author of the bestseller Glossy, Ambition, Beauty, and the Inside Story of Emily Weiss's Glossier, and she's also the author of three previous books, This Is Big, How Sassy Changed My Life, and Girl Power. I'm exhausted reading that paragraph. Marissa, thank you so (laughs) much for being on the show. I'm so happy to have you. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I love glossy i was obsessively i listened to it i didn't read it i was going on oh you did oh it was so good went on really long walks just to keep listening it was addictive it's had such a warm reception and it's a bestseller i was curious has there been anything about the coverage and the buzz around the book that has surprised you or has been different than what you expected that's a great question i it sounds coy, but I have avoided. I read like the headlines for coverage. And of course, I've done many interviews, but I don't actually. Oh, I've read one or two reviews of the book and I stay out of the rest for my own sanity. So I, I feel like the reception has been very warm, but I haven't gotten so much in the weeds of it. I think that things like the amount that people still want to talk about girl bosses Mm. interests me. For me, you can get really caught up when you're writing something and you do so much research and you think about it so much that it feels redundant or second nature. And so I had thought so much about girl bosses that I had gotten to this point of, is this of an interest? Is any of this analysis new to anyone? And luckily it wasn't, but yeah. It's funny you say that because I feel like the dialogue around Girl Boss has resurfaced in recent weeks. There was a Glamour article, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, about like soft girl versus girl boss. And I've seen more social media posts about it. And I thought, I think it's all because of your book. I feel like that's what's slightly reigniting the discourse that we had a couple years break on maybe. What do you think about that? Do you think that could be true? Yeah, it could be. That's really interesting. I would love it if the book was sparking things. I also just think there's just enough distance from the girl boss moment with the added issue of the pandemic. So it feels if it's even longer ago that people feel maybe like they're ready to talk about it. 
And that could be one thing. I also just think there has been so much interest in like women led and things like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like the Barbie movie and Taylor Swift's concert and Beyonce's concert. And even to some extent, this book that maybe also people are ready to like think critically about things that are marketed towards women or with that in mind. That's really interesting. For listeners who haven't read the book yet, why did you become so interested in Emily Weiss and what compelled you to write Glossy? One of the last articles I had written before uh, the pandemic lockdown was a big profile of Emily Weiss and Glossier for Vanity Fair. And that came out right before all of that happened. So I was at home, as we all were, just thinking about topics I was obsessed with. And the beauty world was one of them. Glossier was still really fresh in my mind. And at the same time, I was foregoing fashion for sweatpants and spending all this time like looking at myself and in the mirror and on Zoom and thinking and doing like elaborate skincare routines. And I thought about how, you know, there really wasn't a book about beauty or the beauty industry. Um, and I thought that I had a lot to say. Yeah, the book, it's so in-depth. It's so well-researched. It's so thorough from a content creator perspective. And I think there's a lot of writers that listen to this podcast. I wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit about what was your process like? How many hours per week and for how many months were you working on this? Let me see. Hours per week probably varied because there were some times when I was working on like other freelance pieces and other times when I worked on nothing else and I worked for 12 hours a day, seven days a week on the book. It probably ends up being full time no matter how you try to do it. But my research process is, it's the favorite part of the process for me. Like writing is satisfying, but I think like most writers, I don't really love the act of writing itself. It can be frustrating or painful or at the very least exhausting. And I love researching. I tend to take a no, no road is a bad road to go down because you never know what is going to be really helpful. Reeves Weidman, who wrote the book Billion Dollar Loser about WeWork, had given me great advice that one of the best sources he had for that book was someone who had done like AV for WeWork and was just in the room a lot and had a great memory and was just like there all the time. And I try to keep that in mind in my own reporting in which some people don't think in anecdotes well. Some people, a lot of times people who are like interns or it's their first job are great interviews because it's so vivid for them because it is their first job or they had such expectations. I always like to talk to experts and cultural critics, not too many of them because you want the, your own voice to be there, but just situate things in time and place. I read back issues of magazines. I read books about other female founders. I read history books about beauty. 
I read, listened to every podcast and YouTube clip and hunted down your books and all of it. And But I love doing that part. There is a certain point when you have to tell yourself to stop researching because you could be chasing people down really for the rest of your life and start writing. That's so interesting. Were there any kind of wormholes you went down that you you were like, I don't know where this is going, but it ended up being incredibly fruitful or relevant? I actually loved finding Emily's yearbook because I got it just as a kind of, I always get people's yearbooks if I can for research. Sometimes it can be helpful. Sometimes it's not, but it's something that's in the age of digitally scanned yearbooks. It's something that you can do somewhat easily. And for her, it ended up being this kind of unlocking things in a way because she had these wild senior quotes that were from Graydon Carter and Calvin Coolidge, which was such such a stark contrast to like the Winnie the Pooh and like song lyric quotes that all of her classmates had, which were, which is no way to look down on them. I also had song lyric quotes from my senior yearbook. Emily was a different breed. And she always, it showed me that she always knew who she was in this way that it's very rare. Oh, it's really interesting. I think one thing I wanted to ask about is it seemed to me that between you and Emily, there was consistent mutual respect and a bit of familiarity, but also a shared wariness, which totally makes sense based on the dynamic. But as I read it a couple times, I wondered what it was like for you emotionally and personally to have an ongoing relationship like that in your life with someone who was such a prominent public figure. I think I always saw our relationship as very grounded in a reporter subject kind of relationship. And it was in moments where I felt like manipulated into sort of her trying to convince me maybe more that we were friends or that I was somehow betraying her. But I always have a pretty good idea of who my friends are and who they who is not and so I respected her a lot I think she did for me as well and I think we both could situate ourselves in each other's lives because we had friends and acquaintances in common but at the same time I think that there were pretty firm boundaries there on both of our parts So it didn't at any point cause you like emotional turmoil necessarily just because it's such a part. Oh, no, it absolutely caused me emotional turmoil for sure. (laughs) Because I'm not a sadist. I don't want to think that I am unduly stressing someone out. My kind of worst nightmare always is that I'm going to wake up to some kind of long, angry email from someone. I don't love confrontation. And yeah, no, that stressed me out a lot. And I had to just keep telling myself that this was my job and that it's an important job and it's a job that I care about and that that I wasn't working for her but also the depiction of her in Glossier was one that I felt to be very true and nuanced and that I would be doing her the world the readers a disservice if I oversimplified anything makes sense I'm really interested in the concept of likability when it comes to women at work. And I really loved Alicia Menendez's book, 
the likability trap, which is this, mm-hmm. how likability is so hard won for women in the workplace, but they also often need to be likable to be accepted and successful. And as I was read the book, it seemed, and correct me if I'm wrong, it I didn't get the vibe that Emily was considered especially likable, which I do not fault her or anyone for. Mm-hmm. But I wondered, do you think that she wanted to be liked? Do you think that it mattered to her? I think she was extremely ambivalent about being liked. I think, of course, she wanted to be liked by her employees, by the press. She wanted to be seen as a kind person with her the right priorities. But she also really wanted to be judged the way that kind of any man would be judged, which is part of why she resisted things like doing her personal relationship or anything like that. And I think it's something that she probably wrestled with a lot because being liked is a trap for women. And it is something that is gendered in the way that people are judged and unfairly. And I think that she was well aware of that. But then at the same time, especially when you are young, especially when you're leading a company of people who are relatively young and a company that is made by and marketed towards women for the most part, likability is going to be part of your promise as a brand. And Glossier certainly market themselves with literally smiles and likability. So there were smiley faces. There was, you can sit with us, all this kind of branding. She had to embody that to a certain extent. Um, and I imagine that kind of ratio was one that she was always calculating and correcting for in her head. Yeah. After all that time together, do you like Emily? I don't know. I I often don't really think about people that I write about in terms of whether I like them or not, because also it's hard to know someone that you're writing about because like to me is so much about knowing someone personally. And I would, it would be hard for me to do my job if I felt like I knew any of these people personally. So I think that Emily is complex. I think she's a cipher. I think that there is probably a world in which we would like each other if I wasn't a writer and wasn't also profiling her, but I don't know if we would know each other that way otherwise. Is it like too hot? Is it almost, would it be problematic for you to let yourself say, I do or don't like her? Do you feel like as a journalist, you have to let someone live in the gray area or just not even let that be a consideration point for yourself? Yeah, I think it's, it would be really hard for me to judge them in that way of likability. Also, I try not to let my, I don't know, personal instincts or something get in the way. I think that obviously there are people that I've written about that I didn't enjoy spending time with them, that they seem distracted or I could tell we would have nothing in common in the real world. And so maybe it's not so much that I dislike them, but it's, it's very cut and dry of why you're spending time together. And I think for someone like Emily, it's less cut and dry because I do think there are things we would probably like about each other but also 
it never factored in because our relationship was always around business. And because of that, it's transactional by nature. And I think if you're going to be a good journalist, you have to remember that you are part of that transaction and that they, especially in the age of social media, someone like Drake or Taylor Swift, not really having to do any of their own, not no longer having to do like a magazine cover story for something that they have so many social media followers, they can just be their own PR mouthpiece. And if someone is getting press through your writing, that's something that they're opting in for. In this vein, I wanted to get, I wanted to dig in a little bit about the Little Wedding Black book. Uh-huh. I think, was that the name? Am I getting the name right of the yeah. blog post that Emily did? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I want to say 2016. Yeah. Do you want me to explain it or do you, would you rather explain it? You no, might... please, please go ahead. I would love to hear you explain it. All right. Correct me where I get it wrong. If you're a listener and you're like, what are you talking about? Emily just after, I think, her wedding, did a post that was covering the very extreme and expensive wedding prep routine she did in the months leading up to it, which was like all kinds of treatment, all kinds of exercises, all kinds of a really strict beauty regime. And it got an incredibly vitriolic response. I People really lit into it about my sense, though, maybe you'll have a better sense, Marissa. My The feeling was people were like, this is so out of touch. This is so much money. This is ridiculous. And also, at some point in it, she said, after all that work, I felt like an 8 out of 10, which was pretty good or something to that effect. So she was saying, even after all that, I still didn't feel like perfectly beautiful, but I supposed I felt content with it, which understood what she was saying, but a lot of people had a problem with. And I thought it was so interesting because... Gwyneth Paltrow is posting stuff like that all the time and does not seem to generate the same ire that Emily's posted. And I felt curious about that. And I wanted your take on it, Marissa. Why do you think that someone like Gwyneth can post something like that and it's fine? Emily posts it and she gets torn down. And I was like, is it about success and revenue? Because Goop is only about $20 million per year, which is a lot, obviously, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to Glossier. Or is it a mismatch in selling accessible products, Glossier, while actually living a more luxe life or something else? I felt really interested in this and wanted your thoughts. I think age actually has something to do with it. Gwyneth Paltrow is in her early 50s and Emily Weiss at the time was, I don't know, probably like right around 30, early 30s. And so I think that might be part of it is that there's this sense maybe that like Gwyneth earned it, that she's never pretended to be anything but like a rich white lady from a rich family, whereas Emily has done a lot to deflect class and her brand is so much about inclusivity. I think also there's a the big difference is that whether or not genuine or true, a lot of the marketing for Goop or similar kinds of treatments is around self-care and like doing these things, even if it's something like getting hair laser, hair lasered off, that it's somehow taking care of yourself and making yourself feel better and I don't know, advocating for yourself somehow. And Emily was weirdly direct about it where it was she was getting these treatments to look good for her wedding day. 
And at the end, she said, I felt eight out of 10, which is deeply sad and tragic in some sense. We should all be putting in that much work and feeling the best we've ever looked, but also I think incredibly honest and very true to what it is to be a woman chasing the eternally elusive beauty myth. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about is what do you want readers to take away from the book? I think there are so many things that I'd like to take away. I would love for them to be forming their own opinions about Emily and Glossier. I love that people talk about it like a thriller and that they were constantly changing their, I don't know, allegiances or whether they thought that Emily was brilliant or lucky or this or that. And I think that's something that, you know, they can take away with and debate with people. I hope those are happening. I also think there's a lot of lessons to be learned about just like the real cost of money and growth and wanting to start a large company and all the the kind of purse strings that come with it. Even you can be the founder and CEO of a unicorn company like Glossier and you still very much have people you're answering to. And I think that is a lot of the the lesson, especially if some of the latter chapters. And I also just think it it can help people put, you know, the last decade or so of like finance and feminism and tech and beauty and all of these things in culture into maybe greater focus for people. Yeah, I think it accomplished all those things for me, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> I, I loved it, really. I'm like partway through my second read. Oh, wow. Yeah. So have you and Emily talked since the book was published? Do you think you'll write about her? Oh, no, you haven't? I put in a formal request for comment from either her or the Glossier communications team and never heard back. Do you think that you'll write about Emily or Glossier again? Don't know. I, I could see myself writing about Emily again if she comes out with a new business or something like that, I would be a little bit doubtful that she or Glossier would give me great access to do, even though I think the book is ultimately great for their profile as both her as person and as a brand, but I don't get the feeling that maybe they entirely agree or that would I would be their journalist of choice. So I don't know. I imagine that people might want to hear from me, but I also think people have heard so much of what I have to say about them that maybe they'd want some other writer to weigh in on things. Somewhat related, I saw the news about Glossy being turned into a TV show on Amazon. Congratulations. Thank you. How involved are you going to be? I don't know. It's so in the early stages that I haven't even had the official, the news, basically the contracts have just been signed. I, it's not my great dream in life to become a screenwriter or TV writer. I'm not opposed to it, but basically I already have my next book project lined up. I'm leaving not long from now to go to parents to go report it. I am pretty involved and busy with what's next, but I hope to be consulted and I want to weigh in on everything and hope to be involved. But I don't know that I will be formally in the writer's room or anything like that. But I think that's a good thing. I often think that 
adaptations that are done by the original writer of a book can be maybe a little overly faithful or something. So I think it would really benefit from someone else interpreting that world. But, oh God, I can't. I hope it happens. I really want to see those set. Yeah, I'm so excited when I saw that. I have to, I want to give a shout out to Kirby Johnson, who's a beauty editor. She's co-host of the Los Angeles podcast and she's been on this show. I love following her on TikTok and she did what I thought was a really fun TikTok this morning reporting on this and then brainstorming who would be a good actress to play Emily. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. So do, who would you want to play Emily? Do you have any suggestions? Someone said Allison Williams to me and I can't get her out of my head. Plus they have a certain physical resemblance too. I, I love that idea. But really anyone, I would love nothing more than to see some audition tapes for that. Oh man, well, you mentioned you're writing a new book. I was wondering, could you tell us a little bit about it and when it might be out? Yeah, it's about Jane Birkin. It's a biography of Jane Birkin, but I think of it as also like the way that Glossy is a lot about the culture surrounding Glossier and Emily Weiss and the creation of Girl Boss. that this book will have a lot about Paris in the 70s and the kind of creation and export of the myth of the sort of perfect French girl that we're so still enthralled with. And it's coming out between January and April or May of 2025. They have me on a pretty tight schedule. Yeah. And that's what you're going to Paris to research for? That's what I'm going to Paris to research, to go do interviews and archives and all that kinds of stuff. Oh, my God. Sign me up. That sounds so good. I'm in. Um, I know. I'm excited. It's the beginning of a slightly untethered chapter in my life. It'll be good. My apartment like building is being sold, so... I already knew that I was going to Paris, but now I'm moving all my belongings into <laughs> storage while I'm there and then dealing with finding a new place in New York, which is never fun when I get back. But I think it'll be good for me. Oh, my gosh. Do you know how long you're going to be there for? Is it a set period of time? I'm going to be there at least two months, but I have the option to like stay for another couple months and finish writing the draft of the book. I think it's just going to be depend on, do I need to come back to New York for things? Am I missing New York? Is it, did I find an amazing apartment? Like all those sorts of boring things. Otherwise, it'll just be like me and my dog and a giant suitcase. <laughs> well, that sounds awesome. Is there anything you wish I'd asked that I didn't? No, I feel like we really covered it. Thank you so much, Marissa. It was such such a privilege and a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate your time and I really love the book. I think it was such a cool artifact and an awesome thing. I'm glad it's out there. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy that you're reading it twice and I can't wait to come on again soon. Oh yeah, please do. As soon as you've got your French girl book out, we need to. <laughs> I just have to write it first. No pressure. <laughs> thank you. All right, folks, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe or review us. And if you want to check out our newsletter, Content People, it is in the show notes. See you next time. Bye.